Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to the Pastor's Study. This week I was talking to a man on the phone and I informed him that the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, the largest, most liberal branch of Lutheranism, has decided that they are going to pay for sex change operations with offering dollars in the church's health care plan that's paid for by offering dollars. And you know what this friend responded to me, basically? Jesus is coming back. And what I want to do on this half hour is to talk about the second coming of Christ. A friend of mine, his dad was dying slowly, and all of a sudden, dad starts going to church every week. And my friend says to me, yeah, we think dad's cramming for finals. <laughs> well, there will be a final day. It's called Judgment Day. And let's learn what will happen when Jesus comes back? Would you take out your Bible, turn in the New Testament to Matthew chapter 25, and let's learn about the second coming. Let's pray first. Father, as our world, just especially America, starts to disintegrate morally because we are turning away from you, God, we would pray that you would help us all remember there's going to be a second coming, there's going to be a judgment day. Lord, help each of us realign our lives to remember that. Speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 25, before Jesus goes to die on the cross, he talks to the disciples about judgment day. And here we go. Matthew 25, starting at verse 31. Jesus said, but when the Son of Man comes, let's stop there. Very simple first lesson. Jesus will return. He's coming. Do you remember the first time you ever heard about the second coming of Christ? I do. I was seven years old, sitting in the basement of Pacific Hills Lutheran Church in Omaha, and our second grade Sunday school teacher got up and taught us one day, children, God will come down in the clouds to end the world and take us to heaven. And I remember thinking, wow. <laughs> you know, if you know about the second coming of Christ, praise God for that. Lots of churches never preach this. Do you know, if, I was told if you count the verses, the single most frequent subject in the New Testament it's the second coming of Christ. We have to preach on this. You know, I remember years ago in high school, talking to a friend of mine in high school, and he went to a very liberal congregational church in Omaha. And we're talking, and I said, well, you know, when Jesus comes back, and he stops, he's what? I said, well, you know, at the second coming, what? He's coming back? <laughs> and, and so, uh, yes, he's coming back, and we need to preach that today. Let's look at verse 31. Matthew 25, 31, Jesus said, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his 
glorious throne. Here's the next lesson. Jesus will return in glory. You know, somebody asked me, well, when Jesus comes back next time, where will he be born this time? I said, no. The first time he came to earth, he came in humiliation, lowliness, born in a manger. Second time, he's not going to be born on earth again. He's coming down in power and glory. Verse 32, and all the nations will be gathered before him. Here's the next lesson. Jesus judges the nations. In this verse, it's not individuals. He's judging nations. And I wonder if perhaps that doesn't mean, Christian, God will hold you and I accountable for what happens to our nation. Let me ask you this question. Are you doing anything to turn our nation around. This week I was on the airplane and I'm on American Airlines. I pick up their American Airlines magazine. Big glowing front page article about a lesbian actress who courageously has come out of the closet to proclaim her lesbianism to inspire GLBT youth. And I read it. <laughs> And I had to write a letter to American Airlines. I sent it to the CEO. It was with sadness that I read your magazine's glowing cover article on this actress's decision to proclaim her lesbianism. There was little objectivity. The way the article was written, it was clear we should all enthusiastically endorse homosexuality. For the sake of balance, how about doing an article on someone like me? I have struggled with same-sex attraction most of my life, but for the sake of Christ and for my eternal soul, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 through 11, I abstain from these desires. Many of American Airlines customers hold this religious viewpoint, though there is little openness to it in the liberal press. So for the sake of true diversity and inclusivity, how about doing an article on somebody like me? Well, I'm waiting to hear a response. But my point is, Christian, are you doing anything to try to turn our nation around? Let's look at verse 32. And then he, Jesus, will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Here's the next lesson. There are only two kinds of people. You're either a sheep or a goat. You're following Christ or not. You're saved or you're lost. Only two kinds of people. If you uh, come to ever hear me preach a funeral, I preach kind of the same message at every funeral, and I'll say in the funeral, who can tell me what happened April 15th, 1912? Normally there's somebody that guesses it, the Titanic was sunk. And I preach at the funeral. 2,200 people were on the Titanic. A few days later, big headlines, Titanic sinks. On the left, a big column, the lost. 1,500 names. The right column, big letters, thus saved, 700 names. And I say to the people at the funeral, there's only two kinds of people at this funeral tonight. You're either lost and going to hell, or you're saved and you're going to heaven. There's only two kinds of people. And there's no third animal. You're either lost or you're saved. You know Christ or you don't. Look at the verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then skip down to verse 41. Then he will also say to those on his left, 
Depart from me, you accursed souls, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Here's the next lesson. There are only two destinations. In this verse, it's either heaven or hell, and that's it. No reincarnation, no purgatory, no limbo. When you die, it's heaven or hell. <coughs> I've shared this before, but can I tell you again, the worst sermon I've ever heard in my life. Years ago, when President Ronald Reagan died, millions of people are watching that funeral. It's televised all over the world. And I'm praying, Lord, may the preacher get up and preach. It's heaven and hell. You need Christ to be saved. The liberal, I think, Episcopal priest gets up to preach the worst sermon I've ever heard in my life. And you know what? The word Jesus was not mentioned in the sermon. It was a boring, flowery, flowery inoffensive sermon that wouldn't save anybody and then the preacher sat down and I grieved. Worst sermon I've ever heard. However, that night Reagan had a second funeral in California preached by his son who's an evangelical Christian where they preach salvation. But what we need to preach is what Jesus says in Matthew 25. When you die it's heaven or hell. You need Christ. Verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, to the sheep, Come you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you w invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Now, let's stop here. <clears throat> there is a problem, kind of, here. I'm a Lutheran. Martin Luther and the Lutheran Church is big on the teaching that we're saved by grace alone, not by good works. And the Bible teaches that. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, by grace you're saved, not by what you do, lest any man should boast. So we're saved by grace, not by our good works. Well, the question is, in this verse, people are saved not according to what they believed, but according to what they did. So how do we get this teaching in the Bible that says we're, we're judged by our works to jive with the other teaching of the Bible that we're saved by grace, not works? Well, follow this. This will help. Follow this. Yes, we are saved by grace alone. Our only hope on Judgment Day is Christ died for our sins. So we're saved by grace alone. But... Notice, the first thing that saved these people is not their works. It's who they were. Were they a goat or a sheep? So what saves me is not what I do, but has God in his grace made me a sheep? So we are saved by grace alone. But then we got to say this, but if you're a sheep, you act like a sheep. You feed the hungry, you clothe the naked, you visit the sick. And if you never act like a sheep, then you're a goat. Now, we all fall in sin still after conversion. Of course we do. But is the general direction of your life to be a sheep? So here's the next lesson. Works are the necessary evidence that you've been saved. Your good works will never save you. They never have and they never will. But they are the evidence that you have been saved by grace alone. Look at verse 37. 
Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to visit you? The king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even to the least of them, you did it to me. Here's the next lesson. The way you treat Christians is the way you treat Jesus. Some people think this means, well, if you're nice to people, the way you treat anybody is the way you treat Jesus. That's not what he said. The least of these, my brethren, the way you specifically treat Christians is the way you treat Jesus, which means the people in the Middle East who are beheading Christians are in trouble with God. So, let me just ask you the big question from this chapter. Are you doing any of this? Do you feed the hungry? Do you clothe the naked? Do you visit the sick? Does any of your time, talents, and money go to these efforts? And if none of it goes to these efforts, you've got to ask yourself, am I really a sheep? And I think what I want to urge you to do, if there's one thing you take away from this half hour, it's this. Do whatever you have to to give evidence to yourself, to God, to the world that you're a sheep. Look at verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, the goats, Depart from me, cursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Here's the next lesson. The loving Jesus is also the holy Jesus. Some people say, well, my loving Jesus will never send anyone to hell. Well, then you haven't read this verse. In this verse, Jesus is sending people to hell You know, I got an email from a Jehovah's Witness. Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe there's an eternal hell. And I basically said, what about this verse? Depart from me into the eternal fire. You know, know, hear this. Yes, Jesus is loving, long-suffering, patient, merciful. We glory in that, and it's true. It's also true he's holy. And if you're a goat and you're going to insist on continuing to be a goat, according to this verse, you're going to hell. The problem with the modern American church, all we preach is the love of Jesus. We, you rarely hear about the holiness of Christ. Here was a family that was coming to my church. Pastor, can we tell you why we're coming here? The Lutheran pastor at another church, everybody goes to heaven according to him. Atheist, Buddhist, everybody goes to heaven. And at our old church, the woman uh, president of the congregation, she's living with her boyfriend. People know it. The uh, choir directors are not of the closet homosexual. You know, I talked to them. You know, that church doesn't need to hear about the love of Christ. They need to hear about the holiness of Christ. Look at verse 42. For I was hungry, and you, the goats, gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. Naked, you did not clothe me. And in prison, you did not visit me. Then they will say that they themselves will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, to the extent you did not do it to one of these, you least of these, you did it not to me. Then... Now, uh, here's the next lesson again. Same lesson as a, a few minutes ago. Works are the necessary evidence. 
Let me tell you the story of a man named Luke. Luke goes to church every Sunday. He sings the hymns. He says the Lord's Prayer. He listens to the sermon. And then he goes home, and the rest of his life, it's all about Luke, 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 Luke. Then he shows up in church the next Sunday, sings the hymns. The rest of his week, it's all about Luke, Luke. Do you know what Luke's last name is? Warm. And Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3, the Luke warm I will spit out of my mouth. Again, the, the point of this message is good, good works, they don't save you, but the ne- they are the necessary evidence that you have been saved by the grace of God. Last verse, verse 46. These, the goats, will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Here's the last, last lesson. Heaven and hell are eternal. Here's a story of a Scottish preacher who was walking up the hill to go to his church one day. It was very cold out. The factory door was open, so just to get warm, he jumped into the the room. And as he jumps into the door, uh, the furnace of the factory is open, and and very hot air came out. And the, the Scottish preacher jumps back and says, Hootman! What hell must be like? Well, he went, went up the hill. That next Sunday, there was a stranger in his church. And he goes up to the preacher and says, I work at that factory. When you, do you remember when you came in there this week? Well, I was behind the door, and I heard what you said. And I haven't been able to sleep. And I'm afraid I am going to hell. How can I be saved? <laughs> The story goes, he told them about Jesus, death on the cross, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. There is a place called eternal hell, according to Matthew 25. But hallelujah, there's also a place called eternal heaven. And can I tell you my favorite stanza of all the hymns? I love to sing this at the graveside, just the last verse from Amazing Grace. When we've been there ten thousand years bright shining as the sun we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun you ever thought about that when you're in heaven for a million years enjoying the glory of God you're going to have another gazillion years. No less day. Heaven is, is eternal. Hell is eternal. And I'll just close with this. I'm kind of a cheap guy. <laughs> I get everything from garage sales. And I love being cheap. Somebody calls me cheap, I take that as a compliment. You know, I don't want to shop at Needless Markup. I mean, Neiman, Neiman Marcus. I love shopping at garage sale. But... Some days I kind of get cheap toward God. I always tithe. 10% of my money always goes to the Lord. But then sometimes I kind of hoard. And then the Lord starts to deal with me. And then eventually I got to write a check somewhere. Now, my flesh doesn't like writing that check. But part of me loves writing that check. You know why? It says to me I'm a sheep. For me to give up money, I must believe this. So uh, the point of this sermon is do whatever you have to do 
to start giving evidence that you really are a sheep, that you've been saved by God's grace alone. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, will God the Father or God the Son judge the world? Yep. And Jesus said the Father has given all judgment into the hands of the Son. So the person we stand before God on Judgment Day is not God the Father or God the Spirit. The one who judges the world is God the Son, Jesus. So it's Jesus that will Jesus judge. judges the world. Okay. Will our sins be put on a screen for everyone to see? I'm you know, people are afraid of Judgment Day that God is going to show everybody on the planet all of my sins. It never says that. The closest thing that people get that from is when Jesus says that everything hidden will be revealed. Well, that's true, but it doesn't, never says that our sins are going up on a screen on Judgment Day. I think when we repent of our sins and ask God to forgive us, it says he drops them in the sea of forgetfulness. I don't think he'll bring those sins up on Judgment Day. I guess you just kind of made me think about something. Is Judgment Day going to be in front of a lot of people, or is uh, it going to be God and you <laughs> being judged? I don't know that we know the answer to that. We know that we will be judged. Uh, whether that's me alone in the courtroom, <laughs> uh, gratefully we have a defense attorney, his name is Jesus. So I mean, there, some of these images are that we do stand before, we, w we must all appeal before the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, so, yeah. Well, it just entered my head it was the way you phrased mm -hmm. it. So, mm -hmm. you talked about heaven and hell. So, can you tell me what is reincarnation? Then? Yeah. Is that a part of you know, there are some Christians now, if you go to churches that do Christian yoga, um, which is Hinduism, they are, some Christians, if they're Christians, believe in reincarnation. Well, what is reincarnation? Reincarnation is the belief that if, you're, if you die, you might come back to the planet as a cow or a person, or you get reincarnated until you get good enough that you get abs uh, absorbed up into nirvana. That's Hinduism. That's not Christianity, Jackie. And the verse that is the death knell for reincarnation is Hebrews chapter 9, is it? Verse 27. It is appointed unto man to die once, and after that comes judgment. It doesn't say to die 15 times and keep coming back. See, reincarnation is based on that belief that we're saved by being good enough, and the Bible says, no, we're saved by grace. Okay, can you explain where purgatory and limbo came from? Yeah. Purgatory is a Catholic belief that, and if, if I get this right, and I'm pretty sure I'm right in this, only Christians go to purgatory and they all end up in heaven. Unbelievers would not go to purgatory, they'd go to hell. This is the Catholic doctrine. Um, but Catholics teach that if you die, Jackie, with unconfessed sin, you have to get, go to purgatory for years or however long. I don't know that they say, but that can be a long time to have your sins purged off to make burned off to make you ready for heaven. My problem with purgatory is I don't see it anywhere in the Bible. And number two, I think it robs the cross of its victory. What gets me to heaven, Jackie, is not me going to purgatory for 30 years. Jesus went to purgatory for me. Jesus paid my complete sin debt so that when I die by his grace, I go right to heaven. What about limbo? Limbo is something the Catholic Church in recent years has said they do not see as, as Christian doctrine anymore. You, it, limbo used to be where unbaptized babies went. 
just kind of this in-between land. But in more recent years, the Catholic Church has, has basically said no to limbo. So do they, have they changed their doctrine? Well, yeah, and now I, I, if a good Catholic was here, uh, you know, maybe he would say it was never, quote, official doctrine to begin with, but one of the teachings. I'm not sure how they would handle that. Okay, can you explain what is annihilationism? Annihilationism, and this is the church called Jehovah's Witnesses, which I think is a cult. I don't think it's a church. And then there's a group called the Seventh-day Adventists, and then there are liberal Christians, and they teach that when you die, instead of going to hell, you just get annihilated. They believe Christians go to heaven, although the Jehovah's Witnesses don't. They think you can go back, come back to earth. But um, annihilationism teaches that when you die, if you didn't believe in Christ, you're just wiped out. You don't go to hell. You never exist anymore. The problem with annihilationism is the Bible does not allow us to believe in that. Read Luke 15. The guy that dies, the poor guy that dies, he goes to hell. He begs to get out and he can't get out. He's not annihilated. He's screaming for help. And Jesus, in, in, in the chapter we just looked at, Matthew 25, talks about eternal life and eternal punishment. And, and some Jehovah's Witnesses try to say, well, eternal doesn't mean eternal for hell. Well, then it also doesn't mean eternal for heaven. Because it's in the same verse, Jackie, Matthew 25. Okay. What about universalism? What yeah. is that? Universalism used to be held just by the Unitarians, which, again, is not a Christian church. They don't believe in the Trinity. Unitarian Universalists believe everybody goes to heaven. God has no hell. And the, the Bible teaches there's a heaven and a hell. But, Jackie... I'm a Lutheran. You and I left the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America because it's so liberal. I, there are professors, a number of professors at now Lutheran, Presbyterian, uh, um, uh, United Church of Christ, Episcopal Seminaries. A lot of professors now teach the heresy of universalism that everybody goes to heaven. Well, what do they do with the hell verses? Well, they ignore them. That's what they do. Hmm. Some people say that preachers should preach the love of God and not try to scare people into conversion with talk about hell. Do you agree with that? No. <laughs> Obviously, from what I just said, Jesus preached hell. Was he wrong to preach hell? Of course he wasn't wrong, Jackie. And you know, you know what's arrogant, Jackie? I just read an article in the Lutheran magazine, the ELCA's now, I, I should say this too. I get emails from Missouri Synod Lutheran sometimes. The Missouri Synod, the Wisconsin Synod, all the branches of Lutheranism are conservative and biblical except for the one big one, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. It's not evangelical. I'm not sure it's Lutheran. I'm not sure it's a church these days. You know what their latest ELCA magazine? They had a woman professor from an ELCA seminary who wrote an article on the Lord's Prayer saying we need to expand the Lord's Prayer our Father and our Mother who art in heaven. That's called arrogant, correcting the Lord's Prayer. So there you go. <laughs> Thanks for being with us this week. We pray that God would grant you his richest blessings in the week to come. Thank you for watching the Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write the Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always.